Hello and welcome back. I'm Silveda and I'm a brown girl and this is the Brown Girl Chronicles. This is a podcast aimed to discuss topics framed around my life and how these topics intersect into the lives of people around me. Today we are going to talk about mental health specifically in young adults and I'm here with a guest and she will introduce herself. Hi everyone, I'm Kelly Madden. I am, oh let's, where do we start? Um, a senior here at IC. I grew up in the area, um, so I guess I'm like a self-proclaimed townie. Um, I'm also the president, the co-president, sorry, co-president of Active Minds here on campus. Um, and we just work to advocate, educate, and make mental health transparent for a lot of college students because it's awkward to talk about, um, especially in certain areas of this campus and around the country so well thank you so much for coming um and just jumping right in I wanted to ask if we could talk about more of kind of like the stigma behind mental health and how you've kind of dealt with that and like kind of quote unquote like break the stigma so the whole point of Active Minds is to bring students together to find some common bond around destigmatizing mental health. And when I was a freshman, I joined this club because of Speak Your Mind panels or SIM panels here on campus. And students openly panel about their experiences with mental health throughout their life and childhood, just not like not pertaining just to college. Um, and that's what spurred me to get involved with this is seeing other students talk so openly about their mental health journeys. And... I think that I'm so open to sharing my story because that's like part of my recovery is sharing with other people and seeing kind of how like relieved they feel sometimes to see especially like an upperclassman saying like it's okay to be like completely off the walls and not have it together all the time. Um, So that's been the best part of um, kind of being a mental health advocate but I still think we have such a long way to go Mm -hmm. um not only on this campus but in this community in the state and like at the federal level to make college students feel heard and like they understand that they're not alone and that a lot of other people especially like in your dorm on your floor in your building in your classes feel the same way so yeah and I think part of like breaking the stigma is just talking about it and kind of normalizing it in conversation um And I think for me, like, coming to college was the first time I really talked about and, like, understood mental health and mental illness. I know um, I had one friend in high school who dealt with, like, some mental health issues, and she was kind of the lead into my journey, my own journey, and, like, just learning about it. But talking specifically about college students I know that you did a Cosmo article (laughs) on mental health and I wanted to talk about a little Mm -hmm. I wanted to get into that a little bit more and talk about your experience how you got connected and like what it's been like after it's been published I think that um so first of all I got I guess connected to the author Maggie um through I since I'm the co-president of Active Minds here at Ithaca College I had the opportunity to apply for the um student advisory committee Active Minds is obviously a nonprofit. they're based out of Washington DC every year they pick between 10 to 20 um students from around the country and you have to be involved in a chapter obviously and They invite you to Washington, D.C. a few times a year to kind of sit in on trainings, panels, and really give your opinion about what's going on with not only their organization and foundation, but at like a federal level with policy change. Um, 
And so in August, I traveled to Washington, D.C. for the first meeting of that advisory committee, and I met students from Southern California, Alabama, like all over the country, who I would never have met otherwise. And through that committee, we get contacted a lot by, we were just contacted by the Wall Street Journal or Time Magazine, Cosmopolitan, because they know that I guess we're the most like devoted students um, for advocacy and transparency around this population and their mental health. So um, yeah, Maggie contacted um, Active Minds and the media manager, like the social media team kind of reached out and was like, who would like to do this? So Julie, um, Julie, uh, I'm sorry, Julie, your name is escaping me, um, goes to Stockton University and she's also in the article. And Makai, who's also the co-president here at IC, is the main feature in the article. I'm in the article. And then Ashton, who goes to, um, I believe, not a CUNY school, but a school in New York City, is also in the article. Um, unfortunately, it's women identifying people. Um, and that's mostly because there's a huge cloud of shame around men identifying people because they're socialized to not really talk about their struggles and yeah. their feelings. Or at least most men identifying people, you know, the whole cloud of toxic masculinity but um, we have a lot of great active um, men identifying people and active minds but we're always looking for more <laughs> but <laughs> shameless yeah, plug please um but that's how I got involved and connected to Maggie so she interviewed me in May actually for about two hours and wanted to make sure I was open but the thing is I tell my like mental health story quote-unquote around campus through these panels I mentioned earlier I do it so much that I was comfortable telling her regardless of like I guess like the hierarchical position she's at at Cosmo I wasn't really intimidated by that um nor was Makai I don't think we were just happy to kind of get it out there but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like um shocking that it's out there like people see black and white like they literally said this is Kelly this is her diagnosis and this is where she's from and of course I'm open to saying that um on this campus in this community but for like the whole world like not not the state not the country like the whole world to see that I was like all right (laughs) we're (laughs) here happening yeah (laughs) but I wasn't scared I was just ready for it to come out um in hopes that even one person would be like oh I feel that way too Mm -hmm. like I thought I was the only one waiting three weeks to see a therapist I thought this was abnormal like no your experience is is validated Mm -hmm. by hundreds of thousands of other students so yeah and even just like I feel like Cosmo's so accessible too and like seeing you know it like you said it is a lot of women identifying but Cosmo I feel like core demographic is women identifying people Mm -hmm. so like just seeing someone like you someone your age or like just someone in the realm of like being a young adult and like wow like I'm not the only one um because I feel like I definitely felt that and for those that don't know me and Kelly lived on the same floor freshman year yeah, second floor shook <laughs> shout out to the people you know who you are yeah and it was just I feel like we had a really good group like coming into college is such a scary thing already and then going through all these emotions and like all these things I feel like having that space where I could be like guys I, I'm not feeling great right now like I went to therapy and every instead of be, people being like you went to therapy they're like yes like everyone was so supportive <laughs> me too um and just talking about like just having that kind of energy and that kind of space which I know is so like 
rare and I was so privileged to like be around people and have that though even those resources too even though it did it, it did take three weeks for me to get an appointment um I remember the intake appointment and then they were like our earliest thing is like at the end of September and I was Most like people don't understand that oh yeah. okay um and I also have like my own struggles I don't think I've really publicize them but I'm like an open book so anyone who talks about it talks to me about it I'll like be open um but like my struggles are um kind of like general anxiety and social anxiety and then like depression so like in between like for people who don't understand mental illness like some some of those things when you're going through them can be debilitating and they can Mm -hmm. be so like to the point where if I have a panic attack like I won't want to leave like I don't want to be in public so I won't want to go to classes or if I have depression and I'm having like a a flare-up is what I call them um I won't want to leave my apartment or my dorm for like a week and that's me missing classes that's me not socializing with people um so it's very like detrimental to the way I move and like operate in the world so if it's taking me three weeks in between therapy sessions that is a lot like a lot of stuff is happening in between Mm -hmm. that and that's what a lot of people don't understand um if you have these debilitating like mental health like issues um it's not the best (laughs) and I'm so glad you equated that to like your physical health because people and especially like legislators and politicians don't see that they are equal like you break your arm you go to the doctor the emergency room you get a cast you are feeling manic or you're feeling depressed you should do the same exact thing and you should go I don't know to walk in hours to let's talk hours here at the college and seek help immediately like it's I'm so glad you're using that framework because it's so important and people don't realize like oh wow like it can have the same level of severity like yeah Yeah. it can hello Uh, I think it is important to make that distinction between physical and mental health because they are one and the same their health you are a person if you're feeling these things it's still equally important um and I think during my mental health journey I realized that like I shouldn't be dismissive or invalidate my experiences Mm -hmm. just because it's not physical or like tangible for other people because one I know how I'm feeling and that's that should be enough for anyone to believe Mm -hmm. me and how and what's going on um but I also wanted to share something that was in the article oh here we go (laughs) it just says uh it's like a little blurb of information but it says between 2010 and 2016 the number of students seeking on-campus counseling shot up by 30 percent more than five times the growth of overall college enrollment so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I think that is very interesting that counseling needs shot up and that's like more than enrollment so like there's not enough at least for Ithaca College Mm -hmm. there's not enough counselors per students that need Mm -hmm. their services I would even venture to say it's 2019, we're close to 2020, that whatever that number is has probably grown by like three three to 4%, which is large enough. But um, unfortunately, um, I know this may be a common narrative, but at least for our campus, what do we have? About 6,000 students yeah. here. Um, they choose to allocate financial resources to things such as athletics and 
food services more than they will allocate funds to not even just mental health, but the health center and services in general. That's public information. You can look that up in past budgets um, that we spend more money on that. But um, I also think that a lot of that has to do with like the school kind of being a little bit maybe afraid to openly have like dialogue like this. I know that I've never had luck having um, open dialogue. I, I am, I guess, the equivalent of like a president scholar and I've never had luck having tangible fluid two-way conversations with anybody um, about these issues. I think because part of it is like, I don't know how to address that. And part of it is like, this is really sensitive. And part of it is like, I'm kind of embarrassed. Um, so I think the school really hesitates to take accountability even though I think that they will at the end of the day but um as enrollment goes up across the country not just on our campus um and as our society kind of changes into like more of an isolated society as social media grows so does Mm -hmm. like the level of isolation I think that eventually administrators will need to realize that this is a problem But yeah, I think isolation from things like social media have really um, can be attributed to the rise in like the need for counseling um, and like the kind of like sociological impacts of that. But I don't see um, Ithaca College hired, I believe, two new staff. Um, I don't know, like their titles, what what they have, like a PhD and MSW, so on and so forth. But um, they hired two new staff. so for this, this was their first semester here, and they hired Brian Peterson, who's the new director. I think it just comes down to being an institutional problem of how we allocate money because we prioritize sports over physical mm-hmm. and mental health. We also prioritize just other things. I feel like if you look at the budgets, like you said, it's public. Mm-hmm. Legally, it has to be yeah. public record. Yeah, it's public record, public access. Like You can just see that all these other things are prioritized over mental health and physical health and a lot of other things um and talking about the piece of where we only have one person of color per like 10 counselors in the counseling center Mm -hmm. is really also detrimental to lived experiences as myself a brown person um a woman of color a latina I often find that even though I'm trying to better my mental health and I'm going to the counseling center, I'm often found with white people, white men, um, or white women who that are my only options. So then when I'm coming to them and telling them, like freshman year, one of the main things that I had to talk about. So talking about lived experiences and there only being one counselor of color and me being a person of color going to the counseling center, like oftentimes when I do talk about these lived experiences that I've had where I like had encountered a microaggression or someone was just like plain rude to me because of something of my identity and I'm talking to this counselor and they have no like they can't really console me they can't really speak on it because Mm -hmm. they are a white person um but they can understand and have Empathy, Empathy, but they can't have or sympathy, Sympathy, but not have empathy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also like it kind of hurts, too, because then it's just like, well, I'm truly alone because I'm going to these professionals and then they can't even like tell me anything because it's like counseling is not really about like giving advice. It's about like bettering you as a person and helping you like 
fix the way you think about things but if they don't understand how you're thinking Mm -hmm. about things they can only speculate and like to the best of their ability which is no fault of their own it's also like you need to equip your counseling center to match the students that attend the school aside from individual sessions i also go to group therapy and one of the reasons why is on this campus since it does take three weeks to see your therapist really push group therapy as a crutch they really push group therapy because one it is more frequent you can see somebody every week and two no that's like the only reason (laughs) you could just see someone every week because individual sessions for me are once a month with my so i have a therapist love her um, I won't say her name, but I a love. A month is just. But yeah, so like I can't seeing swear, her, so it's screwed up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> seeing her monthly is just like so many things have happened. So many things happened for me in between my weekly mm-hmm. sessions that I just like can't even fathom like living on one session a month. But going to those sessions is also a time because I am usually the only person of color that is a student or the only person of color in the room because we already talked about there's only one counselor of color um so being the only person of color in the room is very interesting because again those lived experiences that i talk about no like what would anyone because so for those that don't know group therapy really depends on like everyone in the group kind Mm -hmm. of contributing kind of being an active listener um and like getting involved in the conversation to really help so if I bring something that not everyone can relate to to the yeah. group and it's different I feel like it's different than like a traumatic experience where people like have empathy and try to connect but your traumatic experiences are unique to your race right. and ethnicity right so people shouldn't even pretend to exactly so there's like no way to kind of be sympathetic you can yeah. only be empathetic and like if you don't have that lived experience like people cannot there's just no way that it can be a productive yeah. kind of group session if I am the only one with this kind of thing. Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, the cornerstone of social work and most every, like, practice model of psychology is empathy. And when you're in a room full of people who you don't think, even if they want to give you empathy in the most positive, like, with the most positive intentions, they can't pretend to they shouldn't pretend to give you empathy and that goes for practitioners as well so it's it's disappointing but um you're definitely not alone in your vocalization of that um I'm not I'm not gonna pretend to speak to that because I'm a white lady um but I definitely know it's probably one of the biggest problems we do have people of color and active minds and they talk about that all the time um and they go off campus because they don't feel heard or represented along with you know 90 percent of the other things going on at this institution but (laughs) (laughs) right and um i don't know this is kind of i I feel like this is like good like we're putting the information out there but Mm -hmm. i was going to say another like facet of mental health is like the privilege to have those resources so with going off campus you need money because sessions are not sessions are not cheap by any means Um, And I remember there was a point in my collegiate career where I was just very not well um, with my mental health. So I needed more frequently than once a month to see someone. So I did try to venture off campus and do that. And 
being in college is one thing. So I go out of state for college. So I had to get out of state insurance because my insurance didn't cover me mm-hmm. in the state that I'm in, New York. And that was a whole struggle to get it's that. Like 4000 extra dollars a year. Yeah, I, I, it was a struggle to get, like, out-of-state insurance and then to go off campus and then to find people because then individual practitioners have their own different, like, rates. And then once you find someone that has a rate that you can afford, then you have to see if you're compatible with them. Then going through all this, going through an intake session takes, like, maybe 15 to a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not compatible with them, then you have to start that process all you over. You wasted your time. And all this to say is that, like, mental health is exhausting. Like, having a mental illness is, illness is exhausting, but trying to maintain, like, a healthy mental health cycle is also exhausting. Um, so people who go off campus, like, I honestly commend them because staying on campus, the only perk is really that it's free, but, yes. like, everything else is kind of a negative. Um but I don't know what your experience has been because yeah. you said you're also a townie. Um, yes. And you also deal with different things because I said anxiety and depression, which I feel yeah. like most practitioners are um, equipped. Versed, yeah, yeah. well versed in, but like I know you have a little bit different. A little messy. <laughs> a little bit of different stuff. Um, but then that also means that you have to go to somebody who's equipped with that because then also if you're going to the wrong person for the wrong thing, it's yeah. not. That's like going to a foot specialist for your wrist being broken. Mm-hmm. Like there are different bones exactly. in your wrist than exactly. there are in your ankle. So my lived experience is, um, so I moved here in 2015. I was admitted to Cayuga Medical BSU Behavioral Sciences Unit, Services Unit, whatever you want to call it nowadays. Also the Flex Ward. Um and that meant I needed like state mandated therapy through Tompkins County Mental Health. Um, we live in a very strange community because Ithaca is one of the has one of the highest concentrations of mental health professionals in New York State, as compared to you know ten miles in any direction from this town. Like Syracuse doesn't even have that many resources, and they're only an hour away. But um, I digress. But so I've only pretty much ever gone off campus mostly for, um, yeah, like you mentioned, like the severity of my issues. So I openly have post-traumatic stress disorder. So I needed somebody who was willing to do kind of different forms of like dialectical behavioral therapy. And I just, you know, not to bash CAPS, but at the same time to bash CAPS, there's no one there equipped to kind of like unpack like the emotional and physical abuse I suffered. On top of that, I've recently been told I have borderline personality disorder. So all of the stars are aligning for me because I actually find a lot of like peace in that. Um, And again, not something I feel like I could see a practitioner here. Like when you have, um, I guess a diagnosis, I don't want to say as severe as that because we're not stigmatizing here, but it's Mm -hmm. like, If you're a paranoid schizophrenic, you're not going to be able to see somebody once a month or once every two weeks. You need to be going once a week, two times a week. Like, you need to have accessibility, and obviously financial resources hinder that, and I can get into that in a minute, but, like, you're facing really severe mental illness, and you you can't get that for free on this campus, let alone get that. I mean, Cornell is a little bit better because of the size. Um... They have a lot more practitioners. A lot of the psych professors who teach here like once a year are practicing um, at Cornell Mental Health. So that's really cool that we can intersect in that way. But yeah, 
um, Ithaca College cannot provide me, like, the really in-depth, like, once a week, even two times a week, like, therapy um, that I need for my recovery. But, again, like, really glad you brought up the financial issue because um, I also speak about this on campus a lot because it's also another stigmatized thing. I, um, throughout my whole college career and my, like, I guess teenagehood years, um, have faced a lot of like low socioeconomic circumstances and financial insecurity. Um, and I was on Medicaid um, for a while and that just doesn't jive well with a lot of practitioners in this area. A lot mm-hmm. of both physical and mental health practitioners will not take Medicaid because they get no kickbacks from it. They're not reimbursed for anything. So that's just the sad reality of like, yeah. oh, I can't see a practitioner who would actually really help me because they might have a really great plan for me, but right. they're not taking or accepting Medicaid. Which sucks for them because they can't, because mm-hmm. we're not putting blame on them. First of all, healthcare in the United States is... <laughs> Bernie 2020. <laughs> <laughs> healthcare in the United States isn't the greatest. So then when we talk about like just anything um, about healthcare, it's just... is like this endless circle yes. of like oh, of all this course. stuff but no one's blaming the practitioners because obviously they w- mm-hmm. need to make a living but then again like if you need to see a specialist if you need to see anyone and they mm-hmm. don't take medicaid that is a huge issue i know when i was going off campus i ended up getting medicaid through the state because i didn't like i yep. also am from a low socioeconomic background so i could not afford to like just buy insurance and that was also something that hindered like that process that I had mentioned before of finding someone because then I would do an intake I would be I would have a great like relationship with this Mm -hmm. person they're like oh so like how are you gonna pay and they was like oh you know just like Fidelis (laughs) they're like "Uh, sorry I don't take that um or else they're like the copay is gonna be like hundred dollars yeah which sell my organs (laughs) right but yeah, so the financial component, like, there's very, there's so many layers that come with even just, like, mental health that and I don't, I don't think a lot of people are aware. Mm-hmm. Um, another layer is diagnoses mm-hmm. that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've spoken to some people, and they said they would rather not be diagnosed for X, Y, Z reasons, and then some people do want to be diagnosed. And I know you felt, like, a sigh of relief, like, once you mm-hmm. found out, like, you had personality border personality disorder borderline borderline <laughs> border- <A lot> of <laughs> words. <laughs> borderline personality disorder which it, people conjure an image in their head and it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is they hear borderline and they're like oh my god talking about diagnoses i know that because again not to put stigma or yeah, a hierarchy course, yeah. within different diagnoses mm-hmm. but like people who don't suffer from certain mental mm-hmm. illnesses they are judged in a way that is like, oh, this is more severe. We can't, like, take you on. Sometimes even for jobs, I know, like, when you release medical oh, yeah. information. I know, like, the Peace Corps has something about, like, mental health. Like, if you take medication oh, yeah, for I mental health. yeah, I into it. I don't qualify for the Peace yeah, Corps. Yeah, <laughs> if you take medication for mental health, like, you're not allowed to mm-hmm. go. Because I think it's, like, it depends, like, where even they place the you. in military sometimes as well. Yeah, it depends where they place you because, like, they don't want to place you somewhere where you can't get your medicine, but mm-hmm. also, like, you're going, you're, I think. You're with it, children. <laughs> yeah, and you're in this, like, place for two years. So, like, if you have any, like, and you can't get access to that, like, that's a lot. For sure. Um, 
And I also find that I find comfort in a diagnosis because I'm like, oh, like depression, like this means that like I'm sad for no reason sometimes. Sometimes I can't leave my house. Like this makes sense. Yeah, like, thank up. you. Right. It adds up. And I think I'm a, the type of person that finds comfort in labels because then I just feel like I'm not alone. And then other people mm-hmm. who also identify with this label, I'm like, me too. Mm-hmm. Even though, again, it I feel like everyone experiences it differently yeah. too. So like people who say they suffered from depression, they could be go they they could have a whole different experience than I mm-hmm. do. But I think it's also that commonality of like us saying like we suffer from this. Um, but yeah. I completely agree. I think it's like 50-50 um, for most people around our age that I talk to um, in this community. And like I mentioned, you know, students from across the country that I'm really privileged and lucky to work with, they they also kind of reiterate that it's like a sense of community and relief when they find like, oh my gosh, like we can talk about our anxiety on that level or we both don't want to go to Wegmans because it's really crowded. Like, I'm so glad we have that like bond I guess it's a bonding mechanism but at the same time I think it just just as much it leads to more stigmatization um I know when I kind of like announced on world mental health day that I had borderline personality disorder and I was working up to that diagnosis with a psychiatrist that my um not gonna say what part of my family but a side of my family was very um skeptical and judgmental so yeah I think it's like 50 50 half of the time a lot of people find solace and peace and relief in that and then a lot of other people are like I don't want to tell anyone because this is a big label and I can go down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. with reading literature and hearing x y and z from my family and my colleagues and my peers and it just um it just re like reinforces the idea that organizations like active minds and beyond need to be around to do peer education and and story sharing like meet people where they're at tell your story share your lived experience and more people feel comfortable talking about it and i think that's like the key piece of all this like mental health advocacy is just like the story sharing Mm -hmm. but then it's also the other piece of like not making sure you're not forcing people to like be out of their comfort zone because again it's not um I feel like this with kind of all subjects or like marginalized identities I identify with like it's not my job to educate you but oh, of if course, but yeah. if I am sharing my story like you should listen <laughs> and understand like this is how I'm feeling and this is like my truth mm-hmm. um and you said something again I just keep forgetting what you say and I'm like ooh that's good <laughs> um Oh, you were you were saying that um, you can talk to people about it and be like, oh, like we have the same like like anxiety trigger or something. And I also think that's really like that sense of community has been really great for me because I know sometimes when I talk to people who don't have mental illness, um, when I talk to them about (laughs) when I talk to them about my anxiety or like what triggered my panic attack, they kind of just like look at me weird or like just because they're the like, the simple fact that they cannot comprehend, like, how X leaded to Y and, like, how this leaded to that. Or, like, they just don't understand those feelings. So then talking to someone that kind of does understand those feelings is just kind of, like, again, a sigh of relief mm-hmm. where I can just, like, talk to someone and not feel judged or pity because mm-hmm. I feel like pity is the big thing that some people also feel when they don't, like, just understand. Um, and it doesn't help, too, like, when people are like, oh, like are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm just like telling you, I'm just telling you about this experience Mm -hmm. um, because I needed to vent just like any other thing I need to vent about. But yeah. 
I definitely I definitely hope that beyond my years at Ithaca College we can still have a platform for these conversations and I wholeheartedly hope that more um, students of color feel heard because I definitely don't enjoy going into a class where half of it is people of color and half of it is white students and I'm the only one who has to sit there and tell them my story that's not they're not finding things maybe they find a sliver of my story some commonality in it but they're not I'm just as you know disappointed like as they are and um yeah I just I just hope that we can continue on an upward path of really just sharing lived experiences even if it's just like around a coffee table around Mm -hmm. the table in the dining hall like you're with two friends or you're meeting new people or you're out at like Mooney's and you're (laughs) just like having that conversation but yeah I think we have a really 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 long way to go Mm -hmm. um on this campus but comparatively we're doing really well here but I mean across the country um well Kelly thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for having me like I'm honored (laughs) to this episode um and if the people want to find out more about Active Minds, where mm-hmm. can they find information? For sure. So Active Minds, we're, um, I see Active Minds on Instagram. I guess that's our most used platform. We meet at 1215 every Thursday, unless we're on a break from school, um, in Williams 224. Um, and we meet as an executive board every Monday at 8 p.m. in Williams 224. Um, all are welcome. It doesn't matter if you have mental illness. At Active Minds, we like to say everyone has mental health, but not everyone has mental illness. So please just come. It's not a support group. We do have educational presentations about anything under the sun, um, and we just want to support each other. But otherwise, my Instagram, oh, what is it? It's at KXLLB underscore. Um, but that's my personal one. So take that with a grain of salt. But thank you so much for having me, Sobe. Yes. And thank you to all the listeners that are listening to this episode today. You can listen to the Brown Girl Chronicles and any other podcast by the Ithacan on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.